Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 45. It's back to school, which means back to podcasting, folks. I've missed you. I've missed Dylan. I haven't been allowed to see him since March. Dylan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for inviting me back. Oh, you're welcome. I like hearing your voice over my headphones. This week, we've got Chris Clark on the podcast. He was once a trusty producer for Bob McCowan on Primetime Sports. And I say once, it was like for 10 years. He was a Leafs TV OG. In fact, he was the one who hired me. That wasn't supposed to rhyme. And then he took his talents to Sports Center. And now you can find him on the MWO Sports podcast he's one of my mentors and i'm excited that i was able to like get him into the city and be able to sit down with him and and share now that conversation with you guys we know him as at sports underscore clarky on twitter at clarky underscore 29 on instagram that is if his profiles aren't locked he's the world's best squash playing rent a goalie and he's coming up in just a minute how's that for an intro friggin nailed it Things are a little bit different, and I want to let you know, uh, you probably already noticed there's a couple advertisements playing. That's because we teamed up with the folks at Fox Nest, Dynamo, and Spreaker. I wanted to address it. You know, Dylan was sick of working for peanut butter sandwiches. That's why it would take such a long break. But this uh, relationship actually is allowing us to make some new podcast announcements coming up, as well as bring back some familiar podcasts that you guys have all grown to love at least i hope you grew to love them so do us a favor the the advertisements aren't very long just stick through them maybe listen to them a second time if you want to better yet if you can go back listen three four times uh, i know everyone around here would be really happy and seat giant what happened to seat giant well in all honesty we haven't been in contact with them in months that being said when i was helping mama bear buy tickets the other day i realized that our promo code still works so Why not still use it? I'm going to still pump it out so you guys can save a couple dollars on tickets as long as they don't shut it off. With that in mind, great stuff going on in the city this weekend, the first weekend of September. So let's get at it. Friday, September 6th, Friday Night Lights presents Captain Marvel. Cuddle up with your favorite superhero under the stars as Downsview Park closes out the season with their last outdoor movie watching experience. 8 p.m. Downsview Park, which is 79 Carl Hall Road right next to the Toronto FC training facility. And here's the best part. It's free. Parking is free. The movie is free. You get nothing free nowadays. Check out at Downsview Park on Twitter for more information. Saturday, September 7th. I'm really speeding through this. It's great. Squad up and defeat Duchesne. No, not the hockey player. Hive Esports is hosting an all-day board game, video game, and D&D event in an effort to raise money to help find a cure for Duchesne muscular dystrophy. And these are the kind of events that I like promoting the most. Because there's, you know, a cause behind it. We can all kind of throw in five bucks and it goes to a better place. Plus, we get to play D&D all day. What's wrong with that? Producer Sean's going to love it. It's five bucks or pay what you can at the door. Folks, we can afford at least five bucks, right? Check out Geeks United. That's geeks with a Z dot org for more information. And then if you haven't done enough already, Sunday, September the 8th, Pine Grove at the Opera House. When New Jersey Indie Rock meets one of my favorite venues in Toronto, what could go wrong? 7 p.m., the Opera House, 735 Queen Street East. This is the one, as I said, go use Seat Giant to get tickets because using promo code Stringer, even though we're not talking to them, it's still going to save you some cash. Remember, our ideas aren't for everyone, but you can do one of two things to remedy that. Either you can reach out to us and let us know what you've got coming up, and we'd be happy to promote it, at Stringer Podcast on Twitter, or events at thestringer.ca, 
or you can go to seatgiant.ca and plan your own weekend. Concerts, sporting events, theater, live shows, comedy, even TIFF events on right now. You can find all tickets to all those things on seatgiant.ca. Remember to use promo code STRINGER because you never know when they're going to shut it off. Okay, I've babbled enough. Time to let you sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation between me and one of my mentors. Just one thing left to do before we get there. Dylan, do you still remember how to play? Uh, 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 the, the trumpet? Stick to shaking your head, bud. Ladies and gentlemen, the sax. You all. won't. You'll be fine. I think. Uh, like if I lean back, I don't want to. I won't talk when I'm leaning back. But yeah. I might just want to lean back. So yeah, you can bring the mic with you too. These are a brand you new arms. No, oh. these are brand new arms. Nice. I, uh, you're the first person. <laughs> wow. To use these, as you can tell, because we haven't even gotten set up properly with the board. That's why we were recording on my handy little handy Zoom recorder. Yeah. What is that thing? Fancy. It's just a Zoom H4n. I got that ages ago when I was shooting. So uh, these are DSLR. mics you can also like. Yeah, I never with, use this. But if you're yeah. in a scrum, in a scrum, you could. Yep, hundred percent. Or what or I just hold would do, I just put a plug a mic in and just hold and it. It's in. all digital. Uh, all digital. Yeah. Yep. And so we use this in our old setup in our before we got all this crap. This used to be our backup record, right? The board would have an out to this, and we just record every single show on okay. backup just in case something went wrong with recording on the okay. computer. Now the new board does its own backup record like it's 24 yeah, channel yeah. recorder okay. and so it just records everything itself while the thing uh like the weirdest thing to me <laughs> is other people using this room yeah and then More me the coming chair. into something that i feel is mine mm -hmm. and then having to adjust things back like imagine jumping in your own car yeah and then everyone's been driving it right and everything's, everything's out of sorts you're like but this is my car i know right. how it's supposed to yeah. be and now i have to fiddle around with it and yeah. try to find how it works. We have a guy at work who, like our console in our studios are high, right? So you yeah. can stand at them if you wanted to. Yeah. And does it, is it an odd, like, do you have buttons to go high, low? <clears throat> no. No. Okay. But he will literally be like this, like with his, just his head on. I'm like, <laughs> why are you doing that? Like, why do you sit like that? It's so stupid. Anyway. There was Dane Cook. I remember one of the first stadium comedy shows I ever went to was Dane Cook at Air Canada Center in now Scotiabank Arena. And he had this joke. Yeah. about i don't know i think it was online dating and then he would like type up near his mouth he's like yes because that's exactly how i type he's like space bar i give it a kiss there you go okay that's off if we have to stop halfway through that's fine too right 100 yeah, like if i have to pee like yeah, if you have to I leave just have an extra large yeah. Yeah. coffee <laughs> Tea. what's the first rule clerky you always taught me about broadcasting the first rule I the mics do. are always hot i'm yes. gonna keep that in yes. set <laughs> you have to go for an extra pee break right i'm going to keep that in chris yeah. clerk on the podcast clerky uh, hey hey this is it first of all it's very fitting as we come back after the summer break that you're the first guy i talk to because uh many might not know this but in the last couple times we've met you i hope definitely got to understand how much of a mentor you were for me and 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 how much of my progression I can relate back to you. There's nothing like talking, starting off a conversation by putting you on the spot and being like, "What makes you my mentor?" <laughs> tell everyone the secrets that you told me. Well, I must have been a mentor if you took the summer off. 
Yeah, like you <laughs> said you're just back, you know, after yeah. your summer off. So I must have had a good influence on you for sure. You know what? I don't know. Like it's like one of those things where you just live life, and yeah. if you're if you tell people things along the way and it resonates and it, it was successful for them, then that's great. I'm sure there's some people who out there who hated me, yeah. but. Um, nah. hopefully, uh, there's no private conversations that you'll write a book about one no. day, <laughs> but whatever, if it happens, it happens, right? Because no, no, no. it's happened before. I- instead, I'm just going to bring out private emails and we'll yes. discuss them on a podcast. Yes. Like so at least it'll be, today. it'll be um, your voice behind it. Um, 2000, we were chatting before we got in here. 2009 was the first email correspondence I found between us. Uh, for those who don't know me and kind of know where I came from, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment was a big part of my life, Leafs TV. And Chris Clark was the one who brought me in. We'll I have no that. idea. I no? can't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this. I don't remember shit. Can I swear? Can yeah, I 100%. Okay. If you want to. Yeah, no, no. I'm not going to force you to swear because no, no, no. It's you know, natural conversation. Everyone yeah. wants to protect their brand nowadays. Absolutely, it's like no everyone's saying the yeah. same thing. And the yeah. weirdest thing for me is always feeling out yeah. whether I can swear or not. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I have once been asked in the past when I did swear, I was asked to take my swearing out of mm-hmm. my podcast because <laughs> really? they wanted to make sure didn't want didn't want swearing attached to it. That's interesting. Because you know what, just to, I'm going to change topics. I, don't I, mind. I listen to Spit and Chicklets, right? Okay. Do you listen to that? Uh, I have in the past. Okay, so Sidney Crosby was on. Really? And yeah, the, like the latest episode or one of the two, couple latest episodes. Yeah. They released it on August seventh, eight seven. Oh, Get smart. It? So Is anyway, that always his, also his was, birthday. He's August seventh, eighty seven. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so. Um, but I was curious because there's a lot of swearing on that podcast. Yeah. If he would, yeah, right. He dropped a couple of shits, but not, no did F bombs. No F bombs. So, anyway. Sidney Crosby known to be one of the cleanest guys in the NHL. You, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Who else would you put up there? Oh, he had to form a list. Wow. Like if I go back to our time, I think he's still in the league. James Reimer, I think would. Uh, I don't know if I heard him yeah. ever cuss. He's squeaky and, clean, I would think. Squeaky clean, like, and yeah. I was yeah. involved in a lot of like yeah. locker room conversations. Yeah, and I don't think I ever heard yeah. him say a foul word. No, I think he's a religious, pretty religious yeah. guy as well. Um, that's a good question. I don't think you get to know guys as well as you do nowadays um, just by watching traditional TV. No, when you watch and listen to podcasts like Spit and Chicklets or or whatever, you really get to. F- know guys a lot better yeah like max talbot was on there oh boy uh, and like yeah like and joffrey lupo Ma- was on in the last month he, he had many good things to say he had a lot of good things to say actually, really? which yeah. was surprising to me because uh, i thought he was a really private guy and wouldn't talk about what's been going on but yeah. only in lawsuits but he loves life like he, Does he? <laughs> he is living large i think he lives like manhattan beach in california somewhere yeah i think he somewhere uh, out there anyway some beach Newport because beach, he was maybe, with but. the anaheim organization and i think mm. even when he was in toronto yeah after that he kept his place uh in manhattan yeah. beach so he's i don't think he's married no <laughs> like i don't think that's gonna happen for a while no and he's living uh, he, he's living large the way he wants to yeah. he was were you with leaf cv still when he was on the team uh when did or he rough? leave uh, when was he on I, no i think so he was uh, yeah, he, he so. was definitely yeah. on the team i, he was at, I think he was at the uh winter classic i think Yes. Wasn't he on the team then? Yep, he was, and you were yeah. there for the Winter Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, do you remember when he, I think he broke, before he came to Toronto, he had broken his back, his uh, neck, 
Do you, he had the he had craziest, injury, yeah, for sure. craziest road to recovery. The first time I really took note of him was he was playing uh, with Anaheim's obviously AHL team uh, mm. recovering, and he oh, and, yeah. and you know you can tell when an NHL is on a conditioning stint or NHL is on a conditioning stint because he's just head and shoulders above the rest, and and he hadn't played in over a year, and he was just phenomenal on this team. I'm like, holy crap! I think Joffrey mm-hmm. Lupul is actually going to make it back. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember that, um, but his time in Toronto and his <laughs> is, time... Is that, that's going to be your ongoing joke. I, I, don't, don't, I don't remember, remember I'm sorry, that. It's, and it's not, I guess you remember things that were important to you, right, when, of course. you when you look back, right? Like, yeah, I remember my first conversation back in 1987 hmm. with my boss at Telemedia. I remember that. I remember the phone call. Who, I remember waiting. I remember all that when I was still in college, right? What did Telemedia have at the time? Jays and Leaf rights. They had so Jason, Telemedia okay. Sports Network uh, was a Quebec-based company, but they had the rights for the Jays and the Leafs, and they ha- owned Holy those smokes. rights right through till, jeez, I would say nearly 2000 or something, I think. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. Telemedia was around for a while, and they were my first employer. Was Molstar part of Telemedia? No. No, they were separate. Yeah, Molsar produced the games, and this is right on the TV side. That, that's why I saw the TV side. Oh, Telemedia radio. was radio side. Yeah, Telemedia gotcha. was a radio company, and then they sold. Uh, Telemedia sold to um, Standard. Okay, uh, and then Standard flipped them to Rogers, the the fan. Yeah, so that's how it all happened. Humber grad? Yeah. So you're still in Humber in 1987. Yeah. And you have a phone call with Telemedia, yeah. which was going to be your first gig, and you yeah. were there for a few years. So I think you were there for three years, right? Where? Uh, uh, Telemedia. Oh, I was there 14 years. Did they? Yeah. I, like, oh, that be- was my first job out of college. So the fan. Because that transitioned into the. S- oh. Telemedia owned CJCL Radio. Gotcha. And then we switched to the fan in, in two, uh, sorry, 1992. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it was great timing with the Jays yeah. about to win the first incredible because we flipped the switch like the beginning of September 1992 yeah. and they went on to win the World Series the next two years Holy so that was songs. exciting for sure but no I remember that conversation with my uh, coordinator at Humber College back in 1987 he came to me his name was Stan Lark mm-hmm. and uh, he came to me and said hey uh, there's a job like a part-time job available you'd be perfect for it because I had one year of Humber under my belt mm-hmm. um, I was the sports director at Humber I did play-by-play for the Humber Hawks hockey team and he came to me saying I'm not posting this one because usually they would post it on a bulletin yeah. board right you, they wouldn't send an email yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't go out on Facebook no it would you're not, not. going to get the tweet no, on it but it would go out on bulletin board yeah. so they print it off put it on a bulletin board he said I'm not posting this one call this guy his name was Alan Davis so I called Alan Davis and I'm like holy crap man I could work for the you know, Blue Jays Radio yeah. Network. And uh, he got back to me saying, yeah, come on in, meet with me and a guy named Gerald McGrory, who I still talk to to this day. Alan Davis is now the program director at uh, Sports Radio WGR in Buffalo. Holy right smokes. Now. So he was the guy in charge of sports with Telemedia, mm-hmm. um, then became the first program director of the fan. But he called me and told me to come in, and then it was like a waiting game. I had to wait a week, I think it was, for uh-huh. a callback to find out if I got the job. Right. And finally, I'm like, screw it, I'm calling him. Yeah. And I called him, and I said, just wonder what's going on. Your patience isn't one of your virtues, right? is it? 
You, no, you, you want like everything things. to happen now. I do. I yeah. do. You're, absolute, you're absolutely right. You had to wait a week to hear about a job? <laughs> yes, I know. Get right? out. Exactly. Um, so finally I said, screw it. I'm calling him. And yep. he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come on in. You got the job. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. No, to Thanks me, like. For it, leaving me in agony. Right. Trying to f- exactly. find out if I have a job so after said, college. So I said, yeah, come on, meet with Gerald, and uh, we'll get it all set up. I said, great. So I went in, and I was operating the Jays game. So that was my first job. So sitting in the studio in front of the audio board yeah. as the network operator. So there was like 100 stations across the country that were locally run, yeah. but we would put in all the network commercials. So all the like you know the big network, uh, big companies that were nationwide. Right. So um, uh, Chevrolet. Let's say, or whoever the car exactly. You have your car yeah. sponsor, you have Not your insurance local, sponsor, but, na- you have but nationals, maybe a booze sponsor, all the like nationals. Yep, right. Um, so we would put, we would have carts. I don't know if you've ever seen a radio cart, but that's yes. So we would have carts and we would line the carts up, stacks of carts, um, and just be ready. I have nightmares sometimes, and I swear <laughs> to God, I still have nightmares about not having a cart ready yeah. when I had to play the carts, right? Because, like, you, like you would be. You would record the game on a reel-to-reel, yep. and you'd get a little piece of paper and rip it off, and anytime a big play happened, you would put it in the reel-to-reel. So at the end of the uh, game... You have a you little bit have, of nubs. You would have all these papers, right? And if you, you would write down, there would be like a number one, then a number two on these papers. So you would see them as they go around on the reel-to-reel, and you would have a shot list. So it would be like number 14 was like home run for... Whoever, like Fred McGriff back in the day, right? So, oh, that's the play of the game. I got to go back to this now, cue that play of the game up because I have to play the play of the game from the studio. Um, So you'd have all these papers spinning around all game and then you'd have to rewind the the reel-to-reel to go get them. It would drop the paper when you rewind it. Yes, but you know which one you were getting to. Right. So if you only had to go to number 14, they couldn't change it halfway through. They couldn't say, oh, no, we want number 19 instead. Well, no, it's too late. (laughs) That paper has flown out, right? So you would just rewind it to 14, cue it up, and then Tom or Jerry, Tom Sheik or Jerry Howarth, would cue up to play the game, and it sounded like this, and then that would come from us in the studio. Mm. So that's what it was, recording the games on cassette. All the games were recorded on cassette. Uh, And if you didn't hear that cassette pop, sometimes you missed an inning because when you had to flip it over, right? (sighs) Oh, yeah, it happened all the time where it's like, oh, that cassette stopped. I have to flip it over. And that's gone. It's not like and it's you recorded digitally. So six if seconds you of audio or... Or no. sometimes an inning. Like if you didn't, <laughs> oh, I'm serious. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm sure they've disposed of all those games, which is a shame right. in a way. They yeah. didn't digitize them. but um, So that's what that first role you think, was all about. Do you think companies dispose? Because that's crazy to CBC me. CBC disposed the game. Like Daryl Sittler's 10.9. Apparently, he owns the only copy of that. Oh, we tried at Leafs TV for him to give us that to air, and he never did. I don't know why, but that he never did. That is wild to me. I know. Just because I think I'm hey. part hoarder. Like yeah. That, oh, yeah. But I want every piece of media. So I don't know if you can believe this. MLSE, mm-hmm. Leafs TV, didn't digitize Saturday's Heroes. No. I was devastated. I grew up on Saturday. I didn't really they grow up on it. They have one game. But I was they have mid-teens. one game. I was talking to Rebecca the other day. There's one game, yeah. which is the Ryan Strom and... Uh, um, kid who was drafted by, by the Leafs. David Brohl? David Brohl game. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Strom. That's Brohl. the cutest. Yeah. Like, how big was that when, when Dave Brohl made his debut? It was great. And yeah. we had this, like, him on the bench saying, hi. Yes. My name's David Brohl. I called David Brohl's first goal on, on a Leaf broadcast. <laughs> because it was... No, he was 12 s- years old. Saturday's Heroes. <laughs> yeah, but they replayed the Can goal. Can you... So. Uh, for those who might be under the age of majority... Uh, what was Saturday's Heroes? So Saturday's Heroes was a, a brainchild of John Shannon, who uh, ran Leafs TV at the time. And he thought it 
the idea was let's bring kids teams like minor league hockey to the ACC at the time to uh, play a game mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon of if the Leafs were playing at night on a Saturday afternoon, one o'clock. And we broadcast the game on Leafs TV like it was hockey in Canada. Mm-hmm. Like obviously not the amount of cameras and, and production, but we sang the national anthem. We yeah. we did interviews on the bench with Jen Millard. No, Jen Woods, Jen Millard. Um, uh, myself, my first color, I did the play-by-play. Yeah. My first color commentator was Sam Cosentino. So Sam's gone on to great things at, at Sportsnet. Um, my next color commentator was uh, Todd Crocker. Right. And Todd's now the voice the of the The voice of the drama. So, and I'm like out in Wingham. Yeah. Holy smokes. So, you yeah. went on, like, don't sh- cut yourself short. Like, not as if you didn't go on to great things. You hired me. Like, come on. True. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Before, Absolutely. Before starting on Saturday's Heroes, but after... You know those frightful nights of operating the uh, the reel to reel and having to find yeah. uh, flipping yep. the cassette over and all that fun yeah. stuff. Uh, Nineteen ninety, you decide yeah. to do a little sports talk radio show um, that I think a couple people have heard of. You were producing for Bob McCowan. Yeah. Um, so I was operating the game still. I had graduated from operating the games in the studio to actually operating the games at the park. So Exhibition Stadium is where I actually learned how to engineer. They call it engineering, but yep. it was basically making sure the mics were controlling the levels, yep. uh, hooking up the mics, going down. And like we had a parabolic behind home plate. We'd yep. have to take that down before the game and, and hook it all up. So I got that gig um, as an extension of doing the games in the studio, which was great. I loved it. Yeah. Um, and Would you then, do every every game in the studio, all no, se- or just home no. home games? No, it, we we had like a rotation of guys. Oh, of course, yes, right? we had a rotation of guys. So probably the, at the first, I was doing like two or three games a week. Yeah. I was still going to school for two years, right? <laughs> so, but then a full time job came open, um, and I got it at Telemedia, and then so. Bob did a talk show with Bill Waters called Talking of Sports on CJCL Radio before the fan. Talking of Sports? Talking of Sports. It was every night, I want to say from 7 to 9. So CJCL Radio was the music of your dead grandparents' life. It was terrible music in my mind. But it was called the music of your life. And (laughs) then at 7 o'clock, it was hockey or baseball or Talking of Sports. Yeah. So the the guy who actually produced some of that show at times was Mark Askin, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. So Mark did it, and there was a couple other guys who did it as well. I can't remember who. Well, Rob uh, Rob Whitehead, a guy named Rob Whitehead, who later became the producer of the morning show when McCallum went to the mornings. He was known as Miles Long. I don't know why. But <laughs> Rob Whitehead, Whitehead too is much to say. married to Aaron Davis, who was on CHFI. Yes. I so grew anyway, up with Aaron Davis. Well, not... Yeah. Grew up listening to Aaron Davis. Right. So Rob and Aaron uh, were husband and wife. Anyway, um, I got my way in somehow to if Rob wasn't around or if Mark wasn't around, I was involved with talking to sports. It was basically screening calls. That's right. what it was. It wasn't calling out. It was them talking and calls in. So we did that. Then before, again, before the fan became the fan, we did Jay's talk after each Jay's game. And Mark Askin produced that very minimally at the beginning, but I took over. Mm -hmm. Um, Then when Primetime Sports started before the fan started, so it predates the fan. So Mm -hmm. we started Primetime in 1990, as you mentioned, and Howard Berger was the first producer of that. So first, I never knew, we'll get to Mark Askin later, never knew he was involved in radio, and never knew Howard Berger who was loved and hated for all oh, the yeah. writing that he did, yeah. 
was in radio. Oh, he was he was the Leafs reporter on the fan for years. No idea. You are young. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. No. So Howard Howard produced the primetime sports for a year, and when I say producing primetime sports, what that consisted of for the majority of the time. Just picture this: Toronto Star, Toronto Sun, Globe and Mail. Flip through the pages, see a story. Let's talk about this tonight. Let's get the writer on. Let's get the people involved with the story. That's how we got our stories. There was no internet. Right? Of course. There was nothing. No, completely. That's how we got our stories. Or the sports sticker, which was a computer, a dot matrix computer that yeah. spit out stories all day long. And if a big story came that related to Toronto or related to our area, yep. we would rip it and, and uh, try to find phone numbers for people. Right. You couldn't reach out like... The way no. you can now, right? Yeah. So Howard did it for about a year. Then he became the full-time Leafs reporter. Mm-hmm. I then moved into the primetime sports role. So it was around 1991. And then when the fan became the fan in 92, mm-hmm. I became McCowan's 6 to 7 show because mm-hmm. it was only 6 to 7. And it was a network show, primetime, when it began. So it was right across the Telemedia Sports Network. Um, and and it led into ball games. Mm-hmm. So that that show ran 610, 609 to right. be precise, 609 to 7, and then the Jays or Leafs would start at 7. So it gave the networks an opportunity to have their programming basically looked after from 6 o'clock onward on. every night. Yep. So then in 1992, when the fan became the fan, I moved into the afternoon drive producer role. So 4 to 7. So McCowan started at 4 and went to 7. Um, he probably got a lot more money. I didn't get squat. <laughs> You were told to get to work. No, actually, I did get a raise. I remember. I remember I got a raise then. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't huge. But I, I did. I do remember getting a raise. So that's how I got involved with primetime sports. And then Bob tells me I'm his longest serving producer at eight years. So I produced it for about eight years. And then a variety of people came through after me. I, I was named the executive producer of the fan, and assistant program director. So I moved into a sort of a different role, a management role. But when I got into this business, I wanted to be on air. I wanted to be did the you? voice of the Leafs. Yeah. Oh. That's what I wanted. I think I got some guy m- named Joe Bowen in the way. Most damn that Joe Bowen. Who cares about Mackinaws? I know. And what makes them holy? But like when people ask me now, I do get asked because I'm one of the older guys now. I do get asked like, give me some advice, right? Yeah. And if a guy came to me, a young guy came to me and said, I want to do play by play, but I just don't think there's a role for me anywhere. I said, don't lose the dream and do everything you can. Do I regret not following through with that? No, because things worked out for me pretty well yeah. and I was in a good spot. But man, I miss not doing it. And like just recently I had an opportunity to go to California and do some broadcasting. Yeah. Loved, Loved it. it. And wished, man, what could have changed along the way, right? Like right. you look back and you think what could have changed. But um, like when the Marlies came about yeah. and Leafs TV um, did the games, I was like... Do I need to, like, do I want to do this? Do I want to be the play-by-play? Jeff Merrick was in the first year. Well, didn't Jeff come and do play-by-play? Well, John Bartlett, I think, was our first hire. Was it your first? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember Jeff doing Jeff anything. Did, Jeff did, I think, in the first year maybe or two. Radio? A handful, maybe. Yeah, I don't I think it was back. anything to do with uh, the TV side. But John Bartlett was our first guy. And I remember going to John Shannon and saying, do I have a shot at this if I put in? And he goes, you can't take the pay cut. Right. Was, it, was his answer. And in hindsight, maybe it would have been a good idea yeah. if I really wanted to do on air. So sometimes you have to look at yourself and say, okay, maybe I have to take a step backwards right? financially, right? which is hard when you're raising a family to get to ultimately where you want to be. 
and that's sort of like, I don't, you know, I'm not shy about where I am right now in my career. Like I loved doing the broadcasting mm-hmm. and I would love to do more for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I do a little podcasting now and MWO sports and MWO sports and uh, it's fun. It's, it's great. Yeah. I, I love it. I just told someone this last night, actually, I remember this piece of advice that I received. It was in the job I had before I was at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment and I had pursued office work because I have a knack for numbers and I worked in kind of a finance team. But I'd, I'd cracked the nut mm-hmm. of that job. I had figured it out and now it was just process. It was there's nothing new to it. I just went in every day and slogged at it. And I think it was 24 at the time. And wherever I read it or whoever told it to me, they said, allow this to fund your dream. Don't try to force this to be your dream. Allow this to fund your dream. And that's when I had written in my late teen years when I was first published. And then I got back into writing during that part. And, and something mm. flicked in my brain that said, oh, no, no, no. This just allows me to do what I love to do, which is write. And mm. oddly enough, my very next job was because this gentleman, Chris Clark, called me. I Actually, I have that email. <laughs> Do you mind? This no, is the second. Yeah. This this one's this one's good. This why this one's approved for being on air. The other one we 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 joked about before, and it's funny what I don't remember uh, all of this because hey, yeah, go ahead. You invited me to come in for a meeting. Okay, let's go back. Sure. Remi- refresh go? my memory. How did I know about you? Leaf Space. Excellent question. Okay. So Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment had, I guess, at one point, really started developing their digital properties. And then you were part of the creation and evolution of these two platforms, one called Leaf Space and or community platforms, one called Leaf Space and one called Raptor Space. Mm-hmm. These were a forum for fans to come together to share passion, to share information, just to be together all the time. And, and, and why did we call it Leaf Space? We were taking off from MySpace, which was big at the time. Which tells you what age it was. Yes. Really? Yeah. Because MySpace was big. Their yeah. Facebook wasn't, it was no. a thing, but it wasn't no. the thing yeah. at all. At that point, you were part of some huge innovations. And I think of 2009, I believe it was. Remember for a fee, if it was a Leafs TV game, through Leaf Space, we could pay a fee like $2. And then it would live stream the game to us as fans who, let's say, didn't have cable. And there'd be a nonstop chat box on the right side. Leafs TV Interactive. Leafs TV Interactive. That's right. That's right. It was really leading a charge. Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment was really leading a charge in the digital future. And so I was part of Leaf Space. And the first contact I ever had with, I think it was a producer by the name of Mike Brock first. Uh, I had written something and posted it on Leaf Space. And I was contacted on the trade deadline of 2009 and said, hey, we'd like to use this as a topic of discussion on Leafs TV. Uh, Andy Petrillo, Bob McGill, uh, Mark Osborne, I believe was the three. They were on Leafs TV on trade deadline day that time. Do you mind? Mm -hmm. And I was over the moon. Mm -hmm. I was ecstatic. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And that started a year-long dialogue between myself and the producers of Leafs TV, as I understood it, yourself and, yeah. and Mike Brock. Yeah. That's how we're first introduced, uh, introduced. I think we met first in person. It was the end of the year, 2009. You guys threw a party at a, at a local pub and invited a, any prominent, Le- any Leaf Spacer, not prominent, any Leaf Spacer down to join. And he brought cameras and it became a TV show. That was... Yeah, you remember better than yeah. that. <laughs> it, this changed my career, though. Right, exactly. I'm, that's why I remember I'm, from 1987. That's why I you can't remember, remember the phone call in 87. Right. And you can't remember some kid who walked into yeah, your office. 10 years ago. 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. 
Okay, so where's this? Coming? So this, this comes in um, about a year later, and, oh, and we're later. in okay. 2010. And uh, you say, "Hey, Chancellor," which really like dates what time it was, because I wasn't known as Clayton Hansler; I was known as Chancellor. Well, I hey, still call you Chancellor to all you, my friends. So does and so does like <laughs> a group that knew me at the po- sure. uh, at that time, like Monica Platek. Yeah, always calls me Chancellor. Monica with a K. Hey, hey, Monica with a K. Hey, Chancellor, how are things? How is the season for you? When do you have time to come in and chat? Please let me know. What's funny that <laughs> so that just in, came out of the blue in, in out of the complete blue. <laughs> okay, we may have not yeah. talked for months. Cool. And I just get this email from a producer at Leafs TV, which right away goes to my head because I'm so eager to get out of the job I'm in at the time. Yeah. I'm like, cool, they want to talk, maybe whatever. Maybe I can develop my online profile some more. What's funny that in the response, I put Clayton Chancellor Hansler <laughs> in it to make sure that someone knew that my name wasn't <laughs> actually Chancellor. <laughs> yeah. Because I was worried. Yeah. I was like, ah, I just want to make sure <laughs> everyone knows. Yeah. And, and it's this funny thing. We went back and forth. I couldn't meet this day, and we tried to find a day. And you asked me to come in after 6, and then I couldn't do it because I was after working. After 6? You did. Oh, my gosh. No, here's the funny Why thing. Why was I working after so Maybe I was. No, I wouldn't have been. And you're like, anyway. okay, how about Thursday? God. Come in on Thursday. I'd be usually gone by 3. I would and this think. was 26th. This was towards the end of the month. You're like, I'd be coming in on Thursday. I'm like, great. Do you want me to come in after 6? And you're like... No, 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 no. Can you come in at 1230? He said, I ain't at the office in that late in the summer. And then you said, yeah, come on in. And you said, we're doing a barbecue. And so in May of 2010, you said, I think we're going to have a position available. We're creating it brand new. It is, we call it website producer. Is that what you called it at the time? Marley's website, web producer? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Are you interested? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was over the moon. I couldn't believe that. First of all, if there was, first of all, I didn't have to apply. So that was right when, when the Marleys came to Toronto no, from Newfoundland. Three years after, oh. I think they came in two thousand seven. Oh, so was there was no season. websites back there was then. No, <laughs> or I it's think so, like, everything was true. just being funneled right from yeah. the Leaf site because Matt Iaboni, who worked right, uh, yeah, there was websites platforms, there, was already yeah. there, but. You guys isolated a need that each website should have someone that posts things on it. Right. And we don't just, you know, to own distribute yeah. Yeah. content around. Yeah. That changed everything for me because the first time, first of all, that I was ever offered a job I never applied for. And I thought that was huge. But it concreted in my mind the idea that if I want something and I work towards something and I make myself available something, that opportunities will open its door. Mm-hmm. For you, though... What was I? Mm-hmm. Right? You were, like, it was like so, this job yeah. was everything to me. Yeah. But I was just some punk kid who knew how to use Twitter. But you were writing. That's one thing I remember. You were writing and blogging about the Marleys, and no one else seemed to really take the Marleys as their thing. Right. If you had done it for the Leafs, we you're had, one of we a had, million. You're one of a million. Yeah. But I don't know if you did it consciously where it's like oh there's a need here or yeah. you were just a genuine fan of the marley's um but they there wasn't very many of those people no. and that's probably what it was i'd sit alone in the press box oh, in I'm a sure whole you, press sure box and i was just a blogger yeah yeah um so that's probably what it was is hey this guy does some good work he's a good writer uh he knows the team mm-hmm. um and that's the important things right and then you just start getting to know people and that's you know building the relationships, mm-hmm. which I'm key on. Um, so that's you know most likely what it was back then. I'm gonna pull back the curtain for a sec, and I say there's no ego. It was a hundred percent a plan, because I remember I my brother and I split. So in 2008, 
early 2009 my brother and i split a very cheap apartment in toronto yeah we had a gorgeous two-bedroom and it was like only 800 bucks a month and we both had great jobs and we were laughing because we had all this disposable income living in downtown toronto two mm. kids from north of newmarket yeah. living in downtown toronto with all the disposable income in, in the world so we would constantly go to leafs games and sit in good seats something we were never able mm. we never went to leaf games growing up let alone being able to sit in the lower bowl sitting sure. in golds like we thought we were you know kings for a day then my brother decided to move in with a girl and i was left with <laughs> still it's only an 800 850 apartment yeah but all that that 400 that could have went to one or two leafs game a month right went out the door and so I went to my first Marley's game, the Hamilton Bulldogs, then the farm team of the Montreal Canadiens were in town and we were living kind of in the West End already. So it was a short streetcar ride for me to go to Rico. And I remember that whatever 2008, I think it was. And I looked around and I was like, holy smokes, this is underserviced. And I was given a ticket. I was going to buy a ticket at the door. I was given a ticket on the streetcar. Someone was like, is anyone going to the Marley's game? We have an extra ticket. And I was like, how much do you want for it? He's like, no, 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 no. I got them from work. You yeah. know, and I'm here with my son and a friend of mine. We have a fourth seat. And we sat second row, which to me, sitting in golds at Air Canada Center was massive. Sitting second row at a hockey game was massive to me. Sure. And I looked around, and the building was, whatever it was, 15% capacity, 20% capacity. And I said, holy smokes, this is underserviced. I bet you if I just, because everyone talks Leafs, if I just made enough noise talking about Marley's, that someone's going to notice. Well, there you go. Good yeah. for you. Fancy that. Do you, do you remember when I, and not to make this about me, but it is about it me. It is about me. Do you remember? The title of this podcast you, <laughs> is Chris Clark. Clarky, please. Yes, yeah, um, Clarky. Do, do you remember the year I did the PA announcing at Rico? I was the voice of the uh, Toronto Marlies for a good portion of a year. Before they hired, uh, what's his face that's there now? Simon? Simon. No, they hired someone else after me. They had a guy, a radio guy, and he just all of a sudden couldn't do the games. Um. I want to say the that was like oh woman's name was Melissa, who was the in charge of in arena. Was it Melissa? Makes it's I my my because I have her on Facebook. My my memory is not the greatest either. Yes. Um, that's so she, anyway, her name's Melissa. For the sake of the podcast, 100%. and Jen Woods was involved. Yes. So she was the marketing. Right. So director. I think she asked me if I would whatever was interested i'm like yeah no problem yeah um andre devoe remember andre DeVoe? I, yeah very well. so like i, I think, was in the penalty box right like that's where the seat yeah, was for right the, between for the right PA, between the two boxes right beside the score and like i'll never forget the andre devoe uh one-liners in the penalty box after, after to shout things. oh my gosh it was so funny <laughs> so funny that was like one of the best things was sitting in the penalty box just hearing those guys banter right um but my claim to fame that year was it was opening night and I was the PA announcer, mm -hmm. and I had to introduce the team. Mm -hmm. I had no script. Oh, boy. Um, Did you uh, have a lineup sheet? Yes. Thank, However, thank goodness. they told me I wasn't introducing the players individually. No, it's just like... It's just the team. It's just the team. Hey, the Toronto yeah, Marley, the Toronto blah, blah, blah. I had a little script. Yeah. So I did have a script, but I didn't have like a, a detailed rundown, I don't yeah. think. But anyway, about five, ten minutes before I was going to start... 
they came running over to me in a panic. We're doing the teams. We're introducing the teams. I'm like, okay, no problem. And then like, because I'd never done it before, I'm like, okay. I, I just thought, okay, we're doing the team. So I have the lineup in front of me and I'm like, well, are we doing the goalies first? Are we doing the goalies last? Are we going alphabetical? Are we doing numerical? Like, what are we doing? So I was asking all these questions mm-hmm. and they said, we're doing the goalies first. Then we're doing the players. Okay. Literally 20 seconds before we start. Goalies are last. Goalies are last. <laughs> okay, fine. And then I think they might have even changed it one more time where they were going to do all numerical and the backup goalie for the night just in his numerical position yep. and then the starting goalie last so anyway i go through the entire thing and that's great i'm you know people are cheering and i'm like getting into it with yeah. the announcing of the names and everything because it warms you up really quickly sure right because Absolutely. you have so many the, things to do and you're kind yeah, of vibing yeah. with the crowd and getting your timing right. down and the players are skating out one yep. at a time and i'm watching them and i'm like holy crap this is cool right yeah. well i forgot the one little part about the starting goalies last. So here's poor Justin Pogge waiting oh, to skate on the ice. And, and I'm like really pumping up all the players and everything. And then I I do the last player and numerically. And I say, assistant coach is Doug Gilmore. And the head coach, blah, 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 <laughs> is, well, I don't know who it was. Uh, Doug Greg was Gilbert. Involved, yeah, probably Gil- Gibby. Um, and apparently, from what I know, Pogi just sort of put his head down, <laughs> put his head down, and just sort of <laughs> squeaked onto the ice. So I might have ruined his career. Poor, like, I was just gonna say, yeah. it, is and I this didn't know. Weird? I had no idea. I had no idea oh. because until the first intermission, right? Uh, Bob McGill, who was sitting behind me, he wasn't doing the game for some reason. He was sitting in the stands behind me. He goes, "Clarky, you forgot to announce Pogi." I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "Seriously?" So I look back because the game was on TV. Um, so I look back, and sure enough, there's Justin Pogie just sort of squeaking onto the ice. As I was saying, the assistant coach is Doug. And, like, I really took it down an octave, right? Yeah, like, I'm not going to say assistant coach, right? Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, Pogie. Justin Pogie. Fittingly kind of sums up <laughs> his career. What a yeah. terrible spot the Leafs and then he was put in at the time of Tuka Rask's trade. Well, from what I heard about that trade, and I don't know if it's true or not, they leaned heavily on the goalie coach. To ask which guy was better. Right. Which one would. Right. In all fairness. 100%. One, one would. And it's, it was Fergie, right? It was yeah. John Ferguson Jr. And he relied on Steve McKeekin, who was the goalie coach at the time, and said, okay, what guy? Because from what I know, and I don't know all the ins and outs for sure, but from what I know, Boston said, we want one of your goalies. Right. Said, Give us one for, for uh, Andrew Raycroft. Yeah. And they said, okay, you can have Rask. Because Pogi, was Pogi just came out of the... Pogi was local. He, like, he was... Yeah. Two. He just won gold with Canada. Right. And Rask was still in Finland or wherever yeah. he was. And Pogi was a bigger. And that's when that trend of big goalies came out. Yeah. Well, they might have made a mistake on that yeah. one. Maybe. It's, Maybe. It's so weird because it was. Was it a first round pick? I wish I wrote this down ahead of time. First round pick and a prospect for Andrew Raycroft. I think that's what the trade was. Because Raycroft was coming out of a colder. Uh, yeah, oh, he just won the winning. Calder. He just won the Calder. Yeah. And so Boston asked, Toronto really needed a goaltender. Okay. And and Boston asks for a first-round pick oh, and, and a, prospect. a prospect. Okay, yes. yes. Which okay. is completely, f- like, yes. this is a good trade. No matter what prospect you give up, if you rewind the clock to the day the deal is made, this is 100% a good trade. It's just so funny how history will kick you in the ass yeah. years oh, down yeah. the line. No, for sure. When obviously Andrew Raycroft 
yeah. we realize his best year was behind him in his first yeah. year as a Calder winner. Yeah. And and uh, it was going to be Tuka Rask who was going to steal the show yeah. for years and yeah. years yeah. and years and, and still years going. to come. Still going. Yeah. It, it makes and Andrew those... Raycroft is is the Boston uh, color guy on the radio broadcast. Get out. Oh, yeah. No, that's what he's doing nowadays. So they got both guys in the end. They do. No. <laughs> they got both of them. Yeah. Can you believe that? We brought up Bob McCowan. Yeah. You mentioned Mark Askin. Mark is a legend in the game of hockey. He has stories that date back to the mid eighties, oh, I gosh, believe, with yeah. Molestar. Yes, history. Doing his memory is <laughs> like better than both of ours oh, put together. Absolutely. So Mark Askin is a legendary producer. Yeah. He is he is a game night producer. He yep. sits in the truck and he has witnessed almost every great Stanley Cup trophy yeah. left. Yeah. Almost every great overtime moment, uh, all the stuff that I, in the 80s and 90s, grew up on, he was the puppet master pulling the strings behind the scenes. So you guys first, I never knew, you guys first met in radio in the early 90s. And then is it not until you're both at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment that that your paths cross again? Um, Yes and no. When we were doing... Uh, we did a, a series of documentaries at the fan um, during the lockout audio strike. documentaries. Yes. During the strikeout lockout years. Yeah. And I remember a huge project we did was the closing of Maple Leaf Gardens. So we needed uh, like clips, right? And Mark had Molestar, uh, all the archives at Molestar. So we yeah. leaned on him heavily. I, I kept in contact with Mark for sure. Yeah. Um, he was on our show when like... Uh, like he was on primetime if we needed him. Him obviously knowing Bob was a good guest for Bob. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did a closing uh, of Maple Leaf Gardens documentary, which was supposed to be a two-hour show and turned out to be a six-hour show. Holy smokes. It just kept going and going and going. And I said to our bosses at the time, I said, we got some gold here. Yeah. Why do we need to cut this to two hours? Like yeah. we have no games. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> We have, like, there's not a lot going on. Yeah. Like, it's hard to do sports radio when there's no sports going on. Yeah. Um, so we did this six-hour uh, documentary on the closing Maple Leaf Gardens and talked to, like, Bill Ballard and uh, um, the, the one biggest name I think I'll never forget getting was a guy named Harold Mush March. He was like 94, 95 years old, I think, I want to say, when, when we talked to him. Yeah. Um, he scored the first goal in Maple Leaf Gardens. Holy smokes. Yeah. He scored the very first goal and he's still alive. So when I'm doing my research, I'm like, this guy's still alive. So I actually reached out to Chicago alumni because he played for Chicago. They yeah. gave me the name of his son, reached out to his son. I think Harold was in a home at that point. Yeah. But he said he can still talk and he still remembers. He still remembers the goal. The very first clip, and it gives me goosebumps every time I think about it, and it's yeah. doing it again now. The very first clip on that show was, I scored the first goal of Maple Leaf Gardens, you know? And that's how the show started. And I'll never forget it. Incredible. Yeah, I think I, think I still have the audio somewhere of that show on, on a CD. But yeah. Um, so that was one of the most incredible moments talking to that guy. Yeah. Like we just interviewed him on, on the phone, obviously. Uh, he was, I don't even know, Chicago or somewhere, but we just got him on the phone. His son put the phone up. I don't know if he couldn't hear us, right. but he just talked. And right. I think his son was sort of prompting him. Yeah. And that's one of the things that came out of his mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the gold, gold. of all gold, right? So that's how the show started with that clip. I had the idea when they closed the gardens and I wasn't working for the team at the time and mm-hmm. I would have suggested it. They should have flown him up. And they yeah. should have put a puck in front of him yeah. and had him shoot a puck into the net to, to end the night. 
Yeah. I just thought that would have been so cool to have this guy. He right? scored the first one. Because it wasn't a great show. I don't know if you remember the closing of the Gardens, but they sort of got Chicago. ripped for it, right? Yeah, they lost to Chicago, yeah. first of all. Dave Keon was on his, you know, he didn't come for it. And yes. They paraded like Lou Franciscetti, nothing against Lou, but like those guys right. out on the ice yeah. and sat around and Ron McLean hosted it on the ice. But the Leafs were never known back then and still to this day get criticized for a lot of their on ice productions but, yep not only games yeah but like around the game so yeah. montreal is always like like just the champions of the it. champions right yeah. now they have a lot more winning history which helps yeah um but i just and thought that a lot more such recent cool idea. winning history as well yeah which helps it like yeah. they, they don't have to go back 50 thanks years thanks for reminding me but no so that's you know when i think about some of the guys i've talked to <laughs> in my career right. like <laughs> Like, I know it's been a long time since the Leafs won the Cup. You don't have to tell me Unabashed Leafs fan. Yeah. Um, But, like, when I think about all the guys who I've talked to, like, it was neat at the fan because I think nowadays people are way more exposed because of social media to the athletes, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they have their own uh, blogs and... Mm -hmm. and YouTube channels, some of them, TV shows. uh, Social media, like, all that stuff, right? But back then, you didn't, right? And we were a connection to the fans and just having some guys on the air and tracking guys down. Um, can I tell a story about... I would love you to so tell a story. we would have challenges sort of thing when I was executive producer and still producing primetime with the rest of the guys, like for big name guests. Yeah. And primetime had an unwritten... Well, some people didn't think it was unwritten, but um, <laughs> that primetime gets the big guests lay yeah. off, right? The right. other producers have to lay off. Of like, course. Why would we want the biggest name in sports on at one in the afternoon? They need to be on when the audience is there. Yep. The hosts and the producers of those time slots didn't appreciate that very much, but Completely. you have to know your role. Yes. Anyway, one day in particular, the Jays were doing a spring training in uh, in Florida, yep. and there was something about Paul Beeston. I think Paul Beeston was leaving the team and going to work for Major League Baseball. Okay. So we were trying to think of who we could get on the air. So I would call like, you know, a crap ton of people. And if one panned out, one panned out. <laughs> so one guy I caught, thought of was George Steinbrenner. And George was like Holy the king, smoke. right? Yep, like George was the king of all kings at that point. So I called the Yankees practice, like a training camp facility mm-hmm. in Tampa. And I just, you know, hello, New York Yankees. Hi, can I speak with George Steinbrenner, please? <laughs> oh, he's out for lunch right now. I so can I leave a message? Yeah. So I hey, it's Chris Clark calling from Telemedia Sports in Toronto or whatever I said. And I said, I want to talk to him about Paul Beeston. Mm-hmm. So like four hours went by, nothing, right? Well, I think it was like 4.20. Phone rings. Chris, line one. Hello, Chris Clark. Yeah. George Steinbrenner. I'm like, hi, <laughs> Mr. Steinbrenner. Sir? How are you? Right. Yeah. And he goes, fine. Hello, you want to talk to me about Paul Beeson? I said, yeah. I said, we're doing a talk show right now and Paul's leaving and you know, I'm sure you have some good things to say about. Yeah. I'd love to. So I buzzed into Bob. Now the problem with Bob was Bob didn't exactly come in early to prepare. He was on at four o'clock. He would roll in at three fifty nine fifty, and that's no joke. And I would give him the lineup and he would talk like he was amazing at it. Right. So I never even told him that I called George Steinbrenner. If I told him all the people I called all day, right, it doesn't happen, right? Because nope. then he would be like, well, why didn't you get him? Yeah. Right? So <laughs> the last thing I buzz shit. into his ear and I say, okay, we're doing open phones at the moment. And I said, Bob, George Steinbrenner's on the line. We're going to talk to him about Paul Beeston. Go to him right now. He's on the line. And he looks at me and he goes, 
like I just worded the mouth right. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so he didn't believe me. But then I said, no, no, go to him right now. Go to George Steinbrenner. He's in Tampa, Florida at the Yankees facility. So without introducing him, Bob, still not believing me, says, uh, who do we have on the phone right now? And uh, George says, hello. <laughs> and Bob says, Mr. Steinbrenner. And that's how the conversation started. So now it's like 425 and like we have news at 430. So that's when I said to my boss, I ran over to my boss's office. I said, we're not doing the news at 430. He goes, what do you mean we're not doing the news? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, we have a structure here. Yeah. I go, we just got George Steinbrenner on the line. Can you please throw well, We can't bail can out you of throw, him. Can you throw out the format? I'm not telling George to wait four minutes yeah. while we hear the news. So it was fine. We went probably about 15, 20 minutes to George Steinbrenner. But that was one of the neatest things, right? Like having George on the phone and Harold Mush March and like um, Lennox Lewis in his prime. We would get Lennox. He w- we would call hotels. That's how we got people. We would just call the hotel that we thought the guys were in. So if Lennox Lewis was in a fight in England, we would try to find out the uh, the big hotel in London where all the stars played or stayed. And uh, we would just call their rooms. And that's how we hooked up with a lot of guys. That scares the crap out of me <laughs> hearing that. Because what's funny, I think there was a part of me at a time that would have done that. But working for a team kind of beats that part out of you mm-hmm. because you, when you're working for a team, you are a, a PR voice for them, mm-hmm. truthfully. And, and I have nothing against that, but you're there to help promote them and play within their rules and push their narrative. But protect them at the same time. And protect them at the same time. A hundred percent. Yes. Because you're in it together, you and them. And so any piece of me that would have called hotel rooms or would have maybe written an article that got the president of the AHL to call your boss or released a video <laughs> that revealed an injury that got the head coach to then call your boss. All those bad Who traits. Did that? <laughs> all those bad traits were I don't I say beaten out of you but with no harshness, but you got your wrist slapped every once in a while. Oh yeah. So hearing the fact that you guys would call hotels. Oh yeah. Different game when you're not working for the, team. the crap out of me. Yeah, when you're not working for a team it's a different game, right? Totally, totally different game. That's a great story on how George called you back. Yeah. But in all the times that you're running, getting guests, you're live after a Jays game, maybe down on the field trying to bring people on afterwards. Was there ever times where it didn't go so great? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It didn't go. Yeah. Like a lot of times too. The worst. Here's the worst part. I just don't want to put it in people's minds that you can call the office of the most powerful person in baseball. Right. And he's just going to call you back because, hey, I work in the news. No, no, not at all. The the worst part was when you confirmed a guest. So if you were working on guests and they didn't call you back, they didn't call you back. (laughs) The worst part is when you nailed that big guest. And they're like, no, I'm not giving you my phone number. I will call you at 6.05. Right. And they don't call. That's the worst because Bob's been promoting it. We've been talking about it. And then behind the scenes at what happens during a break at a radio station, it should be like a pay-per-view because <laughs> it's it can be very tense. Yeah. Right? And uh, it's, it's not fun for the producer to sit there and take it because – you're taking it. Yeah. And then Bob will come on the air and say, okay, we're never going to call. Like he would say this on the yeah. air. We're never waiting for calls anymore. Just so you know, we are calling the people. If you don't get a phone number for them, we're not having them on the show. And he waits until the light goes on to make sure everyone heard that too. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Thanks, and, 
if that's the rules we play by, Bob, and that's what I would always say to him after, if that's the rules we play by, get ready for not a lot of gas. Right. Because the majority of guys wouldn't want to give you their phone number, and they still don't. Right. Right? So, um, yeah, so we, we would we would call hotels all the time. We would, like, and some guys, and I don't know how we learned this. I'll never forget it, but David Wells, pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, mm-hmm. would never stay under his own name. So we would call, and I know he would stay under hotel. And this, maybe it's folklore, maybe it's not true, but we think it's true. He would stay under the name Richard Weed, which is... Dickweed. Dickweed. D.W. David Wells. So we would call and ask for the (laughs) Richard Weed, and we'd get through to him. So obviously it's true. But yeah, I'll never forget that stuff. Like it's, it's, we would, we would have, in, in the media guides for every sport, it would say hotel headquarters on the road. Well, that's all we needed. Yep. So we knew exactly what hotel every Toronto Maple Leaf, every Toronto Blue Jay would stay in on the road. And if we knew, like, okay, 1 o'clock, they come back from, from their morning skate, yep. we can call them then. Like, some guys were, were jerks. Yep. Rightly so. Well, you're right? calling like, my hotel room radio ho- station. And some guys were like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Now, you didn't feel the need at the time, or was it just different to go through a media relations person? Oh, that like they were doctor knows, right? Like it, we yeah. would get the doctor know, like even locally, like they they wouldn't help us as much as we think they should have. Yeah. Um. So no, we would try to avoid the PR guys as right. much as possible and just go and call guys on our own. And if we got through, great. If not, hey, I had a good contact, and I'm not going to say who it is, but I had a yeah. very good contact yeah. within the NHLPA. Anytime a story would break, and this was years ago. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, he would give me their phone numbers, like their home numbers. Oh, sucks. And I've called, I like, I remember calling John LeClaire, uh, played for the Philadelphia Flyers and Pittsburgh Penguins. And he was not happy that I had his number and questioned me where I got it. Yeah. And our, my line was, you know what? It's, it's in our Rolodex here at the radio station. I don't know how it got here, but that's where it is. Because you never give up your source, no, right? of course not. And I never will give up my source no. and who I got the numbers from. But they would have, they had a computer on and they could find any phone number for anyone who played in the National Hockey League. talk about Bob McCowan, now George Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner. I'm going to mess that up terribly. Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner. Oh, May you rest young, in peace. <laughs> Those names remind me to my first time, my first unofficial day of work with you when Dion Phaneuf was being made captain. Hmm. And we went to, uh, as of yet, unopened real sports bar and grill in Maple Leaf Square. It was the first event ever held there. And although it was neat to see someone given the C, I believe he was the 17th one in Leafs history to where be named the captain, the highlight of my day was being in a big media scrum around Brian Burke and listening to him speak where I was told very straight. <laughs> I know exactly what you were told. You were told. Listen. Listen. Yeah. Don't talk. Yeah. I don't did think I, I tell you that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I don't think I could have talked if I wanted to because it's taking in that moment of not just the man who is, you know, a formidable force in the NHL, but also every face of the Toronto media was there. People that I had followed through my teen years and gave me all my news. But then to watch the light go off and then Brian say something like, Okay, guys, what do you got? And that was all the off the record stuff where media members received the color they needed 
to be informed members of the media without being able to pull a quote directly from the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so it helped you understand how things were working and and so you didn't sound like an idiot when you wrote something that ended up, you find out, being completely contrary to what happened in real life. That to you was the early years in a relationship with Brian Burke. Is it you guys have stayed in touch after all this time? What's Berkey like? Yeah, I, I love Berkey. I love yeah. working with him. Not that I worked directly with him, but uh, you know what? Maybe I did, but it wasn't on the hockey side, obviously. Um, but he was always accommodating. Like we went from John Ferguson, who was so guarded, yeah. um, to Berkey, who was guarded, but got it. He got what we were trying to do. Um, and uh, like I remember a couple of instances when we were uh, producing our Behind the Draft show. And I was like, you know, um, I wasn't the producer of it, but basically the executive producer of yep. it, right? Um, and I would build, I had a relationship with Berkey. And he one day was going to be watching video on some of the guys that they just got in that they were drafting, I think, fifth that year. And he was going down to their video room mm-hmm. and to watch video on the guys because they just collected all the video that he wanted. Uh, and he called me. He said, Clarky, I'm going to watch video at 10 o'clock this morning. Do you guys want to send a crew over? Mic me up. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah 100%. for sure. So I was over there with him and he's talking and um, about all these prospects and mm-hmm. everything. And uh, that's the year they drafted Morgan Riley. And uh, he, I think he was fifth overall, but they had him number one. They really did. And he said that afterwards. They did have him number one. And I think if you look back at the guys who went ahead of him, he was number one. Like Morgan Riley should have been number one. So mm-hmm. they did a great job with that pick. They haven't done, they hadn't done a great job up to then. And after then, when Mark Hunter came, they did better. But um, so he, Berkey got it. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the relationship, and that, I, I can't remember if I told you this off the air, but that's one of the great things I love about what I do is building relationships. And if it wasn't for a relationship that I had with Brian and just being there and, and doing things with him, you know where it all started? It all started with Reed Mitchell, who's the director of hockey operations. The God Reed Mitchell. Yeah. He's amazing guy guy. has been there for, I don't know how many general managers now, (laughs) but like a lot. Yeah. But because he's so good at what he does. Yeah. And he started this shinny uh, Mm -hmm. on the ice at Maple Leaf, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Air Air Canada Center. Yeah. Um, On game days um, with staff. And I'm a goalie, as you know. And they asked me because you always need a goalie. So he asked me to play. So it was like the coaches played, the trainers played, some of the front office staff played. But this all came from an idea that Berkey had and and instituted in Vancouver. And Reed worked for him in Vancouver. So that's where it all started. It started in Vancouver. And then when Berkey came to Toronto, he started it again. Just a way to get out and have, you know, good camaraderie with your with your coworkers. And it was awesome. Um, so Berkey played, Dave Poulin played. And that's when I started to build my relationship up with him. But like the funny part is when I look back, and you'll probably know who I'm talking about, but one of my, I was sort of, I had dual bosses at MLSE. Yeah. One of them said, no, you have to work. The other guy said, no, you have to go play. Yeah. Right, because they knew <laughs> Don't what it turn meant. This down. They knew what completely. it meant to stuff in the future. Yeah. If I didn't get to know Brian Burke and Dave Poulin and all those guys, I wouldn't have gotten near the access we got yeah. moving forward. So that was great. And I saw pictures. I had, you know, there was pit people out taking pictures one day, and I saw pictures of me and Berkey on the ice and Poulin and everything. It's just cool to look. Did back he have that cut things. on the forehead and blood coming down his face? Uh, no, not, not as that far day. As I know of. No, no one would have risked their job on getting <laughs> Brian Burke. 
yeah. they went down before they got close to him. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, he was he was great, but that's the kind of relationship I had with Berkey. Uh, yes, I have kept in touch with him. Um, haven't spoken to him for a while now, yeah. but. Uh, he, I know he's there for me, and when yeah. I say that, if I ever apply for another job or whatever, he's on my resume, right? He's a, he's a reference on my resume. That's, I think, an incredible gift that sports gives us that most other careers don't. And it's not the fact that you mm-hmm. can have a very powerful person vouch for you. It's not that part. Yeah, it's the and that's what we love of a team so much. We love when we watch a team bond together. And really kind of congeal after something tough. Congeal is the wrong word for that, but you understand what I'm saying. And that is the magic that I never want to get away from because what people watching don't understand is that the staff, very often, if you have the right leader, the staff is an extension of that. And they make sure you know that you're an extension, whether it's the video guy or executive producer or the cook or Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. kit man or equipment manager they always let you know that no 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 this isn't just the people on the court field ice this is all of us together and there's not much that can compare to that feeling yeah and i'd like to think i've instituted that along my way right and you're right it's it there's nothing replaces it no like nothing nothing can replace it dave poolin is an unbelievable human being like I have all the time in the world for him. I I still talk to him way more than I, I talk to Berkey. A yeah. lot of it is during games. I will text him all my like Insights. when I get pissed off at Jake Gardner. I'll say this guy is brutal, right? Like what is he doing? And yeah. all you know, and like we have conversations all the time throughout games when he's at TSN. It's sort of yeah. it's it's cool. But I've I've lunch with Dave a lot still and talk to him a lot. Um, so he's been great and he came with Berkey. So he, but he was a leader. He was a captain. You know, he went to Notre Dame. He, uh, um, just, just unbelievable, solid human being. He's had offers to go back in the hockey world, but he's loving what he does. Yeah. Right. He's living at home. Gives him the right balance. Like he's from, he, he grew up in Mississauga. Yeah. Um, Winston Churchill and Dundas area and, or Air Mills, Air Mills and Dundas area. And, uh. It's just a grounded guy. He's unbelievable. He really is. He was, because of your relationship, I was doing a Marley's piece, I believe, in 2013. And you linked me up. He was general manager of the Marley's at the time. You linked me up with him to Mm. do an interview in his office. And that was, I think, that was before I had interviewed Nonus. So it was my first ever big suit sit-down interview. Okay. And I am still, I'll watch that piece back now, and I'm still like, I get hearts in my eyes for for him. Just how accommodating and kind and understanding. You know, when you talk to enough people, especially when you're not actually in the world, like me. I I didn't actually play the game at a professional level, Mm -hmm. and I don't actually know what happens between closed doors. You're bound to ask a bad question at some point. Honestly. Oh, yeah. You don't do it on purpose. It's just you say something that just doesn't actually happen. And people will take it one of two ways. Either they'll slap you with it or they'll try to build the bridge between what you think and what reality actually is. And bail you out. And bail you out so you don't look like a tool. Yeah. And Pooley is definitely one of those guys that will help educate you. Yes. And not humiliate you. (laughs) Yeah. That sums up Pooley for sure. But you must have come across a guy or two who will humiliate you and not educate you. Oh sure, uh, yeah. Come on, um, I want to. I want to dig for uh, one more great story. 
this is actually you guys this is what every dinner we ever have is actually like <laughs> yes is me being just prodding i'm like i bet and you, you in those what? jay's yeah. days or yeah. i bet you in those leafs days or anything else and again i can't remember 2013 which is only <laughs> six years ago but i can remember back in 19 oh probably 90 it had to be before it had to be jay's talk era yeah so i did primetime and jay's talk Right, that's a so, full night. So Bob and I, so I, yeah, it, it was, yeah. And, and a full day because yeah. basically I would get to the office Perhaps. around eleven or twelve, produced primetime sports, which started at seven, and this was my day. I would golf in the morning a lot of times. We had Son great, we had great connections, right? So I would golf free a lot of the times in the mornings. Go to work, and maybe it was only nine holes, but I would go to work for eleven or twelve, yeah. um, and then around two thirty, I would go to Bob's house. Now Bob lived just down the street from from the fan, like he would literally, like you could see his house um, from the building. No, he, seriously, it was like I don't know fifty steps, like literally right down the road. I would take the uh, tr- public transit usually in to the city, yep. and then I would go to Bob's house. Bob would then drive me down to the dome. We would drive down together in his convertible with the top down. Top down day, Clarky, he would always say. So I'm like, okay, good. So we would go to the dome. We'd get there around, you know, three thirty. Yeah. We were on the air at four. Um, I don't remember having to hook up the equipment, but I probably did. But I could do it in my sleep, so it wasn't yeah. a big deal. Uh, so we were on the air at four. We did the show four to seven in Sightlines, which was the restaurant out in Left Field. Yep. Um, and then we would just watch the game together, uh, wander around, get free ice cream, and yeah, bad. And then we would do Jay's but talk. But delicious. We, yes, Hagen does. Yeah. So then we would do Jay's talk together afterwards. Yeah. And it was always this, like, if you start a minute after the top of the hour, you had to go to the top of the next, the next hour. hour. And yeah. we had to wait for Baseball Today to finish with Scott Ferguson. And if you'd ever listened to Baseball Today with Scott Ferguson, he knew everything about every player in the major leagues. And we are like, Fergie, it's the... Eighth place Oakland A's against the ninth place Chicago White Sox. We don't need everything. <laughs> but as a poolie, because yeah. I was in baseball rotisserie leagues, he was the king. So yeah. anyway, um, so we would die on what time Fergie would get off the air. Because yeah. sometimes it would mean a 30-minute show. Sometimes it would mean a 55-minute show. Because we'd always have to hit the top or bottom of an hour. Yeah. Anyway, Jay's Talk was a show where a lot of times it was just phone in. But on weekends, we would try to get players. So if opposing players, local, like Toronto players, whatever. And I had a pretty good role going with players and got to know some players and, again, building relationships. Mike Timlin, one of the Blue Jay pitchers, got to know him really well. He was on Jay's Talk a lot. He invited my wife and I to his wedding in Florida, and we went. So like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then there was the guys who had a bad reputation that I sort of stayed away from. Yeah. But one day someone told me that Dave Steve had changed. And Dave was great. I said, okay. So I thought. <laughs> they were setting you up for failure. Well, they? so I was a big Dave Steve fan in the yeah. 80s growing up. I had Dave Steve shirt and everything. And then they came back to the Jays there in the early 90s. So I approached Dave Steve. And I know I've told you this story off, off air. But I approached him, put my hand out and said, hey, Dave, I'm Chris Clark with the Blue Jays Radio Network. And he looked at me. He goes, so? Being stubborn and not wanting to walk away, yeah. I said, hey, I produce a show called Jay's Talk. We do it up in sight lines uh, after the games. We'd love to get you on one day. And he goes, why would I want to do that show? He goes, "Who?" I think he said, who is it with? And I said, Bob McCown. He goes, not a chance or something like that. I was crushed, right? I yeah. was like, I don't want to be in this business anymore. Never meet your heroes. Right. What a jerk, yeah. right? This is a guy who I watched, I loved, I have a shirt, and this is how he treats people. And it it hurt for sure, and I moved on. 
um, and got a lot of great guests, right? Like I remember some, we had George Brett on. George Brett was a huge star, obviously, with the Kansas City Royals. He came on the show. Uh, Robbie and Sandy Alomar, when they were playing together, both came on the show at one time. I'll never forget, though. I waited about an hour for Robbie. Uh, after a game he did everything like massage and talk to fans and i'm like dude we gotta get up there because bob's filling right yeah waiting for he's us. dancing so we had like anyway we had them both on the air, which was great like those yeah. are the kind of things i remember because it was important to me right yeah but yeah the dave steeb one was probably the worst experience i ever experienced for sure as a fan i experienced it once i was a tony stewart fan uh, in NASCAR, went to a race mm-hmm. once and met him, and he was a complete tool. Hmm. And like, okay, as you said, don't meet your heroes. Don't meet your heroes. Except Lionel Richie is an awesome guy. <laughs> met him. He's good. <laughs> uh, you should follow Chris Clark on all social medias, and then you'll you'll get your daily updates <laughs> on Lionel as to when Lionel's coming back to town, That's right. when his concerts canceled, when it's rescheduled. Twelve, for... I think. Twelve. I've been to twelve concerts. Twelve Lionel Richie. I concerts. think twelve. Yeah. We've gone past the hour mark, and I we didn't even get to. Talk about any of our trips together. Well, this is part one. Right? Does that we'll mean do you'll, another part? You'll come back, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. We can talk about the mansion in Florida and <laughs> the right. uh, we didn't talk about the that. near fist fight in Newark, New Jersey. Yes, Clarky, thank you so much. Thank you, I appreciate it. We did say never meet your heroes. Uh, it's don't. Pre- it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool when someone becomes your hero and you've worked with them all along the way. I think it's really special for me that we still have a relationship because as I as I printed off a handful of old emails, <laughs> we chat about them and just flicking through them, uh, it's pretty neat. And I know I probably caught you uh, caused you more than one sleepless night. I don't uh, remember them, so... But, <laughs> The senility is paying off. Uh, I like to finish every podcast the exact same way because I believe big changes come about by doing even the smallest things. And one of those things is eating your vegetables. And so I tell people uh, when we wrap things up from myself, from Chris Clark, from Dylan, who decided not to show up today, and from uh, everyone involved in putting this together, please, please, please be good to yourself. And eat your vegetables? (laughs) (laughs) He got it right, guys. (laughs) Pass. (laughs) 